Beloved, you have such a mighty God. You know, he has destined that rivers of living water flow forth, issue forth from your bellies. His water, living water, Holy Spirit water. He has ordained you to walk in the rivers of his Holy Spirit, ushering forth to those around you, bringing his love, his mercy, his grace, his change to the world around you. And we just praise you for that, God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name. So welcome, new people. Thanks for being here. I would love to talk to you, and my husband would love to talk to you after service, if you have time. That would be awesome. Um, but today, we're going to continue on the Overcoming Church. So this is the fourth church we're studying, and this is the church of Thyatira. Um, now, let's remember that typically how the, um, Jesus goes through these churches, he gives a characteristic of himself, he gives a, gives a commendation, he gives an admonishment, he gives an encouragement, and he says, um, for those who have ears, let them hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. And then he gives a promise to the overcoming church. Who in here is the overcoming church? Yes, we are. Okay, so let's start in um, verse 18 of Revelation 2. We're going to start. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He's so sweet. Isn't he sweet to us that he would encourage us in that way, that you're doing more than you did at first? Nevertheless, I have this against you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Listen to the mercy of God right here. I have given her time to repent. Do you know how patient the Lord is with us? I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So she has a hardened heart. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. You see, he's always offering a door to us a door to forgiveness. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching. Okay, see that? To you who do not, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned 
Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. That's a merciful God. Except to, ho- except to hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on, saints. And we're not just holding on, we're marching forward, right? To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, say that's me, the overcoming church, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, just a reminder, we are going through the churches because we have a good God who warns us, right? It would not be a good God that would not warn us what to pay attention to, what to be alert to, what to correct in our lives and still hold us to a certain standard set forth in the word. That would not be a good God, but we have a good God. So this is not so much having a list of do's and don'ts. It is having a heart toward the Father. It is, it is developing the heart of the Father, Okay, so we need to think of when we go through all these churches, that's what we need to keep in our hearts and in our minds. So here, uh, and this is the only place in, in these particular writings that Jesus does this, he refers to himself as the Son of God. Okay, he doesn't do that anywhere else. He refers to himself as the Son of God, so he uses his name not just a characteristic about himself. He does use characteristics about himself. But this is the only church um, where he does that, uses his name rather than just a characteristic. Additionally, now think about this. In his earthly ministry, Jesus did not refer to himself as the Son of God, did he? No, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. Okay, why did he do that? He referred himself to himself as the son of man so that you could identify with him. So that you can understand, so that I can understand that the things that he did on earth, he came as a man and he had to listen to the Lord. He had to listen to Holy Spirit just the way that you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if he could do it, you can do it. Right? So that's really important right here. So when he uses, he has to use the term son of God for a reason here. And I'm just a human being, but uh, this is what, I'm, what I think. The son of God here comes forth and denotes his absolute authority, his absolute power. It denotes the gravity with which he is addressing this particular church because of what he's going to deal with here. Okay, and so I think, I believe that's why he uses that term, son of God. There is a severity in his rebuke to this church. Um, 
Then he goes on and he, he uses the characteristics. He says, eyes like blazing fire. Okay, in other words, nothing's going to be concealed from him. Nothing is concealed from your father. Uh, he knows your secret intents. He knows your heart. He knows, he knows the recesses of your heart and what you're thinking and the motivations of your life, okay? Remember, he judges, he, he judges the heart. He judges on the heart, okay? And then it goes and says, feet like burnished bronze. Okay, burnished bronze. That's bronze put through the fire, okay? So there's a refining there. There's a, a testing there. There's a uh, pur- purifying there, burnished bronze. It denotes his majesty. It denotes his power. It denotes his purity. It denotes his authority. Um, Feet of burnished bronze, feet of burnished bronze, will tread down the enemy. Okay? They will smooth the path before you. You see that? You understand that? They're going to smooth the path before you. Your God is going to do that. Um, And those to whom he, at the end of this passage, it says those to whom um, he gives power over the nations, okay? So his, his feet of burnished bronze are going to make that way for the overcoming church, and we are going to rule and reign with him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So the overcoming church should not be afraid. You should never, ever, ever be afraid of God's righteous judgment, of his desire to help, help you purify, purify our lives. We should never be, if we, we should be so thankful for that. We should be so thankful that we have this loving God who will look into the intricacies of our hearts and help us draw out the things that we need to get rid of so that we can truly receive without walls, without walls, the love that he has for us And so that we can truly, without walls, love one another. Okay? We need to have that out of us, things out of us. And everyone in their own lives has different things. Okay? So, the overcoming church should never be afraid of God's judgment of sin, ever. But rather thankful. It brings us to repentance. And what does repentance do? That's a really good word. It's a wonderful word. Repentance is beautiful because it brings us into communion with our Father. It's, it, it brings us into the purity of the presence of the Father. Okay, so we're thankful for that. It prepares a way for us to be connected and to be the overcoming church that he has designed us to be. You see that? To rule and reign with him. So God will give us, he says at the end of here, he's going to give us authority over the nations. Jesus states that at the end of this passage. So bronze symbolizes where God's judgment deals with sin. And only then do we enter the pure and holy presence of our Father. When we submit to his correction, when we submit to the correction of the Father, um, Basically, we get the victor's crown, don't we? Right? We get the victor's crown. Okay. So, we all know, don't worry, we're going to get to the good part, guys. 
This is all good, though, really. We all know that um, right now there's a lot of darkness, right? We live in a world where sin is abounding from every direction, it seems, right? I mean, let's be real. Um, And it's not just outside the church. It's inside and outside the church. So we're not going to do any finger-pointing, right? We're going to take care of our own selves first, okay? Um, So God has established, when we repent, God has established his mercy, and he envelops us in his presence. He created us to love us. He created us for his love. He created us to spread that love to other people. So I want to start with a little example here, because the Bible starts with a wedding, right? Who do we have at the beginning of the Bible? Come on, guys. Who do we have? We have Adam and Eve, don't we? We have the union of man and woman, don't we? Okay. So if you really think about it, the Bible starts with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. Okay? And that is the picture that God gives us about our relationship with him. It is a divine picture. Marriage is a divine relationship. Uh, Yeshua, Jesus, as the bridegroom and we his people as his beautiful bride. Say, I am the beautiful bride of Jesus. Okay. So that relationship, that, that marriage, that, that the bride, the spotless holy bride, speaks of his protective nature over us. It speaks of his nurturing of us. It speaks of his unconditional love for us, doesn't it? Okay, It speaks of total, complete, intimate union with your father. And he wants you to walk in that union now. Not just in eternity, but now. Okay, Um, Earthly marriage between a man and a woman is basically a foreshadowing of the relationship. Okay, it's a small foreshadowing. (laughs) And it's probably a very imperfect foreshadowing. But it is a foreshadowing of the beautiful relationship that we are going to live in eternity with, with our Father. I mean, really stop and think about that, beloved. How precious is that? How precious, how wonderful, how beautiful is that? So, that's why I think this particular uh, passage to the church of Thyatira, Thyatira deals so severely with the Jezebel spirit. It, it, it deals very severely with that spirit because of what God has destined us to have eternally. Okay? Are you hanging in there with me? Okay. And it is also why Satan tries so hard to destroy marriages and to destroy the definition of marriage here. Okay? Um, Which is the union between a male and a female. God loves us so much, and he has such a 
beautiful, beautiful relationship eternally in store for us um, that he will not relent. He will not relent in helping us to deal with this spirit, okay? So, because when we deal with that spirit, we deal with that sin, we can live in the purity of his love with him forever and ever. Hallelujah. So, the bronze, the bronze feet, signifying judgment, his authority, his strength, his omniscience, um, his omniscience, his... Uh, it, it, it shows us, it shows us that he is always close. He is always trying to tread um, a way for us, right? To trample the enemy. He is supervising. He is active in our lives, and he knows how to help us. So sometimes when we look around, the world feels sort of like it's careening out of control, doesn't it? I mean, when you look at the world outside. Seems like it's careening out of control. But God is close at hand, and he is not afraid to bring correction for our good. The scripture says he is close to the brokenhearted, right? Um, he is close to his children. So he never acts cruelly. He never acts with malice. He never acts with uh, anger or rage toward you, okay? He always acts with unconditional, unconditional love wisely, so the bronze speaks of his judgment administered to help us, administered to love us, administered, administered with perfection and precision to bring us into closer communion with him. Um, so the deeper, the deeper our appreciation of sin and God's righteousness, the more we understand that and how he uses his righteousness to help us, his loving judgment, so to speak, the greater our appreciation of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness for us. Because remember, he forgives us and our sins are as far as the east is from the west, right? Because he sees you through the blood. If you're a believer, if you are a a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees you through what Jesus did, okay? So, the bronze symbolizes God's righteous judgment and his willingness to take our sin and graciously deal with it himself. That's what Jesus did on the cross, right? He's your substitution. He took away what, in truth, we would have deserved. So, rather than allowing us to fall into the grips of Satan, what did he do? He sacrificed his own son. He sent his own son to die, to walk that walk, that, that painful walk, to walk that walk to the cross, to be crucified. Hallelujah, but he was resurrected, and we get to live in his mercy forever. So, 1 John, if we confess, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Aren't all of you thrilled that you just get to release that weight? Don't you love the thought of that, that you don't have to carry the burden? 
Because you, if you, if, when we repent, I mean, his loving arms are never closed. They're always open. They're always stretched forth toward you. They are always for you. He, he will never pull away from you. You serve such a loving God. Psalm 103.11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You have a God who has compassion on you. So we come to the the commendation part of the church of Thyatira, and he says, he, he commends them for their work. He commends them that they that their works are done in love. He commends them that they serve him in faith. He commends them for their zeal. He commends them for their patience and their perseverance. You know, he says, these are are beautiful things. It says, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. See how gracious he is? He appreciated, he appreciated that they were growing in service to him. He appreciated that they were growing to, to, uh, to walk in his plans and his good pleasure and his will. Um, he, they were growing wiser, in other words. You can, you can tell from reading this that they were doing better than they were at the beginning. So they, they had to be maturing in the Lord. They had to be growing wiser. They had to be uh, um, growing better in service to him. So he praised them. He praised them for their ministry. And he knew that though they were not perfect, because he's already made that evident, though they were not perfect, he's looking on the heart and, and their desire to please him. Who in this room desires to please the Lord? Yeah, we desire to please the Lord. You know, just like Jesus. He came to do the will of the Father. So we want to do the will of the Father. So he praised them. But then he goes on and he admonishes them, okay? We get to the admonishment part. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants. Okay, so it's a false prophet. She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Okay, so here you have someone who is is basically completely hard-hearted. Say, that's not me. (laughs) I'm glad it's not you. So Jezebel worshipped Baal. All right? Baal was a Canaanite uh, and Phoenician false god. Baal was a false god. And in general, uh, Baal was the false god of fertility. Okay? It was believed that this false god, Baal, could uh, bring greater harvest to crops and could um, help people produce children. Okay? Baal worship promoted sexual immorality 
and it involved actual ritualistic prostitution in the temple. I mean, you're talking some bad stuff, okay? It's amazing. See, God still was allowing. God wanted repentance. You know, he doesn't just come down and strike them down. He's trying to get them to come back into union, and it's for their own good, okay? So Baal worship involved child sacrifice. Okay, these are all things that happen today, beloved. So don't just think that's Old Testament. It's not. These are things that are currently happening in our society, okay? It involved uh, self-inflicted injury, such as cutting. Okay, remember when they were on Mount Carmel and they started, like, stabbing themselves and cutting themselves with swords? When, when their God didn't, you know, answer their God. Um, so this should sound actually really familiar. I, I would not want to be, let me rephrase that, Think about parents and school systems in certain parts of our country these days who are allowing, promoting, hiding the encouragement of minor children cutting off parts so that they can become another sex. Same thing. Same thing. Okay? not something to be messing around with. We shouldn't be trying to figure out a different way to be other than the way that God created us to be because we're going to be happiest, most fulfilled, being the way God created us to be. But now, let me, let, let me just put this caveat out there. Do you love every person in sin? Yes. You love people through situations. You love people through situations. You love people through sin. That doesn't mean you tolerate it. It means you love the person. It means you see their value in God. It means you see why God created them, and you help them discover that. Okay? So Baal worship basically infiltrated Israel when King Ahab married Jezebel. That's why you shouldn't be yoked with unbelievers, because you don't want that in your family, okay? So Jezebel had God's prophets killed, and Elijah was left. Oh, for Elijah. Hallelujah. Elijah was Jezebel's strongest enemy, arch enemy. He was not going to tolerate compromise. He directly confronted Jezebel and her false gods. There are times, beloved, when you are going to have to confront sin. Now, we speak the truth how? In love. Okay, love is, is the best confrontation. Okay? So we need today, we need to walk in this spirit of Elijah. Okay? There are times when only the spirit of Elijah will open up the darkness and bring the light in. Okay? So Elijah prayed, and there was this three and a half year drought, and then he called for this showdown on Mount Carmel, right? Right? 
between the prophets of Baal and our Almighty God. And all day long, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 priests of Asherah called on Baal to come down and consume the sacrifice that had been placed um, by them, right? So they kept calling and calling and calling, and what happened? That there was nothing. There was no response. No God in heaven came. There was no consuming of the sacrifice. It says, there was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. (laughs) So then Elijah starts taunting them, doesn't he? He's like, okay, well, where's your God? Where's your God? Is he sleeping? Is he like deep in thought somewhere? Is he traveling? Right? Isn't that what Elijah started doing? I mean, he, he really honestly got in their face big time. Okay? And he, then all of a sudden, he just prays this simple prayer to the Almighty God. And what happens? The sacrifice is consumed. And they had dumped it with water and water and water and water and water, and that didn't matter. So don't always look at the circumstances, beloved. Don't always say, "Uh uh-uh, like there's just too much going on here, you know, God can't handle this. No, no, that's not true. He, He lapped up all the water in the trenches, okay? So the people basically at that point, they felt prostrate before the Lord, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Say that. The Lord, he is God. You serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty, unconquerable unconquerable God. He has never lost a battle. He will never lose a battle. Your one goal is to just stay there with him. Right? That's, your, that's, that's all you got to do. So Elijah then had all the wicked prophets killed. Whoa, how would you feel about that when you knew Jezebel was on the other side? I mean, she was wicked as wicked could be, okay? But he didn't care. He had all the, 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 the wicked prophets killed, and Jezebel vowed his revenge. Jezebel vowed to vowed to avenge their deaths, okay? So uh, Elijah had defied Jezebel and her wickedness, and he had overcome through his God, just like we do when we stand in the truth of the word and refuse to relent in love. (laughs) Okay, so eventually what happens? Jezebel, because she refused to repent, she met a gruesome end. Unfortunate for her, but it wasn't like she wasn't warned. She is basically, when, when, when uh, Jesus is talking to this church, the, the spirit of Jezebel is basically synonymous with evil. It is a, an example of evil. It is the epitome of wickedness. It, is, uh, it is, includes defiance. Uh, prostitution of oneself to get your way um, or to benefit oneself. That's, that's what she symbolizes. It is a manipulating spirit. It is a controlling spirit. It is a spirit of witchcraft. 
okay? That's truly what it is. Um, Her pride, her selfishness, her greed, her desire for vengeance against God ultimately led to her death. But see, we we don't have, that doesn't have to be the end. That doesn't have to be the outcome. Because we have a God who is always drawing us into his mercy and loving kindness. So, even when Jezebel saw her death approaching, you know, what did she do? She just dug her heels in deeper. She went in, she put on all her makeup, she put on all her priestly robes, I mean her uh, royal robes, and, and she defied God to the end. Okay, and that was, that's unfortunate. So uh, the terror that she ended up suffering under was not God's heart. You see that? No matter how much wrong a person has done, he is always desiring, he is always desiring communion with us. So I want to just talk about this spirit of control for a minute, okay? Because a spirit of control, how many, okay, I'm not even going to ask, but I think a lot of people sometimes deal with a spirit of control and having to control everything. And what, what is that? What does the spirit of control really come from? Fear. It comes from fear. It comes from fear that you will not be taken care of, especially if you do things God's way that somehow it's just not going to work out. That is so untrue. You see, that's what the devil wants us to think. Okay? We do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we have a God who loves us, so we, we don't have to walk around controlling everything in life. Um, and it's something that we need to watch out for. Often people want to c- control others or manipulate others for their own benefit, right? That's, that's kind of a a yucky thought, you know, people wanting to manipulate others. Um, Jezebel actually had Naboth killed, didn't he, so that Ahab could get the vineyard, okay? That was just gratuitous, have him murdered so that I can have what I want, okay? There, there are times when people are like that. Um, often people know, people think they know what's best for their own lives, and it's not working out that way, okay? And when that happens, we need to stop, and we need to say, Lord, you show me. You know, you show me what your will is. We need to stop. We need to pray. You know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the promises of God, They are sure. They are true. They are definite. His word never returns void. It always accomplishes what he intended it to do. But sometimes we're not walking by the word, are we? And we want something, and we think something should happen in our lives a certain way, and we need to stop at those times, and we need to say, show me, Lord. Show me. Is, Is there a hindrance? Is there something I need to change here? You know, um, is there something in my heart that I, that I need to submit to you? Okay? And he will be good and kind and tender when we do that. He does not hit you with a rod of anger. He comes to you with loving compassion. Okay? So sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we are so 
concerned about another person's well-being, about pain that they are suffering in their lives, and we just want to fix it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Where there's someone, there's someone in your life, or may not even be in your life directly, that you might know of them, and you just see them day by day making wrong choices or hurtful choices for themselves. And your heart of compassion, because you're so filled with the love of God, and you're allowing that river of love to flow through you, and rather than judging that person, you look to that person and you're like, that's a spirit of control. <laughs> it, is a it is a spirit of compassion, but you also want to get in there and you want to fix it and you want to be able to control it and you want to be able to say, do it this way and it's all going to be better. And you may have done that. You may have said, try this, it will all get better. But that person doesn't see that. And that even, even at that point, if, you, if you're in there trying to, you know, alter things, and I'm not saying you shouldn't help because you do want to help, right? Your heart is to help. But sometimes that can be a spirit of control. And it, it's not that you have even a bad intention. You have the best intentions in the whole world for another person. Loving, kind intentions. But even at that point, sometimes we need to step back and we need to say, God, you are faithful. God, I trust you. God, I put this person in your hands. God, your word tells me that you will complete, Ephesians or Philippians 1.6, you will complete the good work that you have begun in that person. And then you pray and you believe. And no matter what happens in that person's life, you do not get moved off that stand of faith. And you stand and you stand and you stand until you feel like there is so much pain that you can't stand any longer. And you stand more on the word. You see that? That can be, even though it's good, that can be a Jezebel spirit, a spirit of control. So we need to be attuned to that and we need to say, Father, I trust you. I trust you because you are so good and kind, and I know you love that person more than I do. And you have their best interest in mind, and you want the Jeremiah 29, 11. He has good plans and a future of hope for them. Okay? So, so and anyway, then Jesus goes on, and he encourages them, he encourages them um, to remain pure. He encourages them to remain, that they are remaining undefiled, okay? In, in verse 24, it says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, okay? And have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what 
you have until I come. Hallelujah. Beloved, do you remember the word, the, the tongue and interpretation last week? See, we hold on. We're not just holding on, though, like, like we're about to drown. Not that kind of holding on. Okay? It's holding on knowing that the victory is here. Holding on, and the, remember the interpretation said, go forth. Go forth into your families. Go forth into your communities. Go forth into your schools. Hold on and go forth with the teaching, the good gospel, the good news, the redemptive word. All right? To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations... That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have, listen to this, listen to this, just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Hallelujah. You are intended, designed, created, purposed to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ here. The overcoming church, the spotless bride. You are intended to walk, to rule, to reign. Yes, that's going to be eternally, but now, in the here and now, he didn't give you his name to do nothing with it. He didn't shed his blood, right? Not to have you walk with everything that that blood purchased in the fullness of Christ. Does that make sense? Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, God is, says he's giving us authority over the nations. That's the un, the, those yet to believe, okay? That's, that's not the church there. Ruling and reigning with him in, in strength, in righteousness, in the completeness of Christ. That is, that includes authority over every demonic force. That includes authority over every false prophet, right? That um, is ruling and reigning in his strength, in his righteousness. Um, that is complete authority over anything that would try to derail you or distract you from his ultimate purposes in your life, right? So in Christ through the blood, in his lordship of every area of our lives, we are undefeatable. We are the undefeatable church. We are the overcoming church. You see that? That's you here and now. That's not just you in heaven eternally. He wants you to be the overcoming church to, to do his will his plans and purposes now, now. 
He will protect you. He will direct you. He will rescue you from the grips of darkness. We just cling to him. We just abide in him. Jesus has the authority, and he gives to us, he gives it to us who hold on to his teaching and to him to the end, right? Um, He gives us good hope in a future. We will walk in his wisdom. He gives it to us liberally and upbraideth not, right? We walk in his wisdom. The Holy Spirit is always speaking. He is a voice speaking to us, whether we turn to the left or to the right, saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's why you got to know the word, because if you know the word, you're that much more in tune to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. He, nev- he, 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 he speaks to you and leads you and guides you. He is the spirit of truth in your life. So every promise, every promise in this word is intended to you, and as you cling to him, you will see the fruition of that in your lives, regardless of what the circumstances might look like at any moment in time. You see that? So we will be, this is, this is an encouragement, the ending of this, this church of Thyatira, it is an encouragement that when we keep the faith of Christ, when we persevere to the end, when we stand in the word, that eternally we will enjoy all the fullness of Christ and all that God has for us. I mean, you don't just get to live in his presence. You get to walk in victory here, right? And I shouldn't even say it that way, really. You don't just get to live in his presence because, like, ultimately, how could anything be any better than that? There's nothing better than that. But it's not just for then. It's for now, okay? So, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Hallelujah. Beloved, God has good things for you. We just need to be attentive to his way of doing things. All right, so... We're going to take our we're going to take communion and then we will receive our tithes and offerings and anyone who's new I would love to meet after after church after service um